Look at somebody and say, you're the best looking thing I've seen all day. And you can be seated. My, my, my. Bishop, Pastor Sandy. Wow. Man. This is like oxygen, isn't it? Everybody take a deep breath and say life. Whew. My goodness, my goodness. Well, I was going to tell everything he told you. So I, no, that's all right. It's better coming from you. I love him. I, I thank God for what he's doing here at Solid Rock Church. I thank God because I know his life. I know his integrity, his openness, his vulnerability, his character, his faith, and his courage. And Pastor Sandy's got even greater faith than he has. Y'all may y'all y'all may hear him say it all the time, but but Pastor Sandy's got more faith than he does. Amen. She she believed in this place before you even thought about it. Come on, somebody. Come on, I mean that. And uh, this is going to be a powerful month. A powerful. I'm glad I got to start it because I sure wouldn't want to have to come after all of those guys got here. Amen. Wow, 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 wow. I want to say a lot of things, this being the 25th anniversary, a quarter of a century of serving God as a church, and, and you're just getting started. It's only the beginning. Come on, and those of you that are new, you're here at the right time. Come on. You're at the best part of this place, amen? Some of you have been here from the beginning. You have fought everything he's talked about to help us get here, Amen. And the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Yesterday I ran my first K-5. Yeah, I called it, I, I, I called it K-5, you know, because that's what it felt like to me. I felt like I was in kindergarten starting all over again. I ran my first 5K. I failed, I stumbled, but I made it. Come on, everybody. And... Uh, one of my inspirations is here, Chris and Emily Vaden. They, uh, I, I knew him. I knew him before he ran, and I've watched him on his running journey. And uh, so I'm glad to see him this morning. It's good to have you guys here, and it's good for everybody to be here. Man, I am. I am trying to to make sure I don't get ahead of myself, but I want to share something with you. I, I, I really, I really want this morning to start a revolution. I want to start a revolution. Now, it's not going to be what you think it is, but I want to start a revolution. And, and this, this message has been working in me, and I've been preaching around it and, and preaching through it and discovering it and having to live through it and walk through it. And I remember, I remember uh, it's been about four years ago, I was in Rwanda, Africa. And, uh, and I left Rwanda, got on an airplane uh, about 11 o'clock at night, and, uh, and, and there was a lady with a young baby sitting right beside me. And I thought to myself, I won't get any rest on this flight, but I did. But the, the longer I sat by that baby, the, the worse I began to feel. And by the time I got to Amsterdam... Uh, I was feeling, I mean, I felt like I had a cold. And I called my wife and I said, baby, I said, I, I tell you, I think that baby on the plane was sick and gave me whatever that, I don't know what that baby was carrying, but that baby gave me something. And, uh, and so about six weeks later, I found out that baby wasn't carrying anything. I, I had malaria. In fact, see, I thought the baby was carrying it, but really I was carrying it. What are you carrying this morning? What are you carrying this morning? What are you carrying this morning? Come on, look at somebody and say, what are you carrying? What are you carrying? I fly a lot, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, into China, into Indonesia, and and I've been going a whole lot lately. And it's amazing to me, when you go over into Asia, you will see a lot of this right here. Mm -hmm. 
because they don't want what you got. That, that's right. They, they, they're not sure what you're carrying, and they don't want to get it. I wonder what you're carrying. I wonder if people put a mask on when you walk in the room. Because, because that, that's, that's what we're supposed to be carrying. If you're, if you're born again, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. The Bible says your body is a dwelling place, a carrier of the presence of God. A carrier of the presence of God. But, but, but I know a lot of people that are carriers of the presence of God, but they're carrying something else. They're carrying something else. We, I flew in in June to a, another uh, son of mine, spiritual son of mine in Oklahoma, and, and uh, he picked me up in Tulsa. And, and, and we're riding down the road, and, and I'm kind of sitting sideways with my back up against the wind and the door because we're catching up. I had not seen him in a while. We're catching up on things. And that night we were going to have a, a service where I was going to speak on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we were going to do three-day staff retreat. And then I was going to preach for him on Father's Day. And, and so we're, we're just riding down the road, and suddenly, suddenly I notice this truck in the other lane the inside lane of the interstate honking its horn and I look up and and he tells me I'm number one with his middle finger and he's just cussing and renting and raving and and shooting us birds and and I and I, I said to Mark I said Mark I said what look at that guy he's going crazy what's wrong it was an old man too in an old truck and and Mark looked down. Now, we're in the right-hand lane, and he looked down, and we're doing 70 miles an hour. So, I mean, even if we were doing slower, we were in the right lane to be going slower. And, and, and so I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, Mark said, I don't know what his problem is. And all of a sudden, I just stopped, and I said, you know, I wonder what this guy is going through. I, I wonder what's going on inside of him. We need to pray for him right now, Mark. And we just begin to pray for that guy as he sped on off down the road. See, see, Jesus said this because, because I think it's important that I get to start this celebration because, because really it is my hopes that, that I'm a part of, of, of uh, projecting where this church is going to go in the next 25 years. What I believe God is wanting to do in the body of Christ and through the body of Christ, there is transition, there's transformation, there's great shifting in our culture and in our country and in the, in the church at large as I'm traveling over the world. There is a hunger for authenticity. There's a hunger for Jesus with skin on. There's a hunger for people to come in contact, not with our personalities, not with our promotions, but with the presence of of God. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 6 verse 27, 28 and 29 and I want to read it from the Passion Translation. Now these are the words of Jesus. He said, but if you will listen, look at somebody and say, if you'll listen. In other words, he's saying everybody probably won't listen to this, but if you will listen, I have something I want to say to you. If you will listen, I say to you, love your enemies Oh, you say, I love my enemies. I love my, we're going to get to this in just a minute. Love my enemy. No, you don't love your enemies. He said, if you love your enemies, do something wonderful for them in return for their hatred. So now tell me you love your enemies. Next time you tell me that, I'm going to say, well, what have you done for them lately? Not to them, for them. Then he goes on, he doesn't stop there. He says, when someone curses you, bless that person in return. Didn't say bless them out, cuss them out. It said bless them. And, and then it says this, when you're mistreated and harassed by others, accept it as your mission to pray for them. See, see, all you want to do is tell us how bad 
what's happening to you is and what all you're suffering and what all you're going through. All your prayers are about God, get them, get them, get, get, get me out of this. All we hear about is what all you've been through. You, you say, but you don't realize how many times I've been burnt. Yes, I do because I smell it on you every time I get around you. All I can smell is what you're going through. Come on, I need a better amen. Listen, listen, the, the, the church is not in trouble in, in the United States because of the White House. It's not in trouble because of the, of the schoolhouse. It's not in trouble because of the courthouse. It's not even in trouble because of the church house. It's in trouble because of your house and my house. Because we profess one thing and we live another. We're just like the world. He's given us a directive here. He says, I want you to understand, when someone mistreats you and harass you, immediately I want you to recognize I allowed them in your life because they need someone to pray for them. And that's why I let it happen to you. I'm trusting you to take my presence and turn it into a prayer for that person. I've lost some of you already. To those who despise you, continue to serve them and minister to them. Is that what it says? In other words, in other words, Jesus has given us our mission in life. What, what has happened is we've, we've became so focused on what we're going through and, 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 and what God is allowing us to go through that we have forgotten who we're going to be when we come out of what we're going through. And he wants us to focus not on what we're going through and how bad it is, but who are you going to be when you come out of that? Are you going to be bitter? Are you going to be angry? Are you going going to be mean? Are you going to do unto others just like they've done unto you? Or are you going to be a carrier of the presence of God? Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to understand something. Hurt people hurt people. And hurt people are easily hurt by people. So when someone is rude and someone is mean and someone mistreats you, I don't want you to focus on what they did to you. I want you to look for the why behind the what. I want you to quit saying, well, I can't believe you'd do that. Look what sorry thing they did. And calling all your prayer partners to gossip to them about it and using that as an excuse. He says, no, I don't want you to talk to others about it. I want you to stop and say what must have happened to them what is going on inside of them God they must be hurting they must have been abused they may have been abandoned I have no clue what they're going through I don't want to give them what everybody in the world has already given them they've been slapped down they've been knocked down they've been kicked down they need somebody to love them in spite of their ugliness in spite of their sin in spite of their wrongdoing they need somebody who will look at them and believe Believe in them and give them the presence of God. So he says, accept it as your mission to pray for them and serve them and minister to them. In other words, I don't want you to do to them what everybody else has done to them. As a child of God, as a carrier of the presence of God, I want you to let life flow back into them. In other words, in other words, he says, he says, I want you to understand when when, when, when that man was shooting us that bird and cussing at us, he said, I want you to stop and realize what he's really doing is he is shouting through all of his pain, help me, I need massive amounts of love in my life. Help me, somebody help me, I'm hurting so bad. You see, you see when you're hurting, you're easily hurt. How many is, I, I, I may have asked you this, how many has ever had a splinter in your finger before? Anybody ever had a splinter in your finger? Go and put your hand up if you have. How, how many has ever had one and, and forgot about it and it get a little bit infected? You remember it real quick, don't you? Because, because something just as simple as raking over that pulpit, suddenly, 
When someone mistreats you, when someone cusses you out, when someone betrays you, Jesus said, don't get so concerned about what you're going through. Stop and ask yourself, what has hurt them so deeply that they're reacting to it? And you just happen to be the one. And Jesus is saying this, I let it happen to you because I'm trusting you to do something different than everybody else has done in their life. I want you to be a carrier of the presence of God. And when they push your buttons, let the life of Jesus flow out of your life. Serve them. Minister to them. Pray for them. Bless them. Don't nod at me with that Sunday morning nod. I want you to stop and write some names down right now. People that you work next to in the cubicle in your office. I'm talking about that neighbor that put up that 10 foot high wall fence between you and them. I want you to think about some people in your family right now. God is speaking to you. All you can see is what they've done and what's happening to you and God wants you to turn it around and accept it as your mission. That's why he put you in that office. That's why he allowed you to be planted in that family. That's why he put you in that neighborhood he wanted the presence of God there in fact he goes on and he says this right here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 I want you to write this down I'm going to read it again out of the Passion Translation and, 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 and I, want you to, I want you to notice he says we are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's not ours though we experience every kind of pressure we're not crushed at times we don't know what to do but quitting is not an option we are persecuted by others but God has not forsaken us we may be knocked down but we're not out we continually watch this we continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that so that so that so that I can break out in anger so that I can re reflect it back on you so that I can tell you what all I've been through and take all of my stress and press her out on you no, I'm suffering in my own body so that the resurrection life, everybody say life, of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. Here's what's wrong. The world is tired of hearing about our Christianity, but all they ever experience is our humanity. Then he goes on, he says, we consider living to mean that we are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake. Here's what we're going through. Here's what we're going through. Yes, we're persecuted. Yes, we're betrayed. Yes, we're done wrong. Yes, people, shoot us birds on the interstate. Come on, somebody. But don't get your focus on what's happening to you. Here's the result I want to happen so that the life of Jesus will be revealed again through our humanity. So then death is at work in us, but it releases. See, the world, the world's watching everything we're going through. They're hearing us respond the same way they do. They see one person on Sunday and hear another whole person Monday. Listen, what this sermon is really not about what I want to see happen in here today. It's what I want to see happen Monday through Saturday in your home, in your job, in the community. It's more. I want to start a revolution. It's wonderful what's happening in here. But, but what starts here doesn't need to stay here. I need to say that again. What starts here doesn't need to stay here. Come on, you need to look at somebody and say that. Say it with a smile. What starts here doesn't need to stay here. You're a carrier of the presence of God. So let me ask you a question. Let me, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. When people get you, when people get you, what do they get? What do they get? I, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. Listen, listen. It may not look like this. It may be invisible. When your when your car pulls up in your driveway at six o'clock on Monday evening, what what does your family put on one of these right here? 
Do the kids run for the bedrooms? The wife begins to wash dishes. Come on, I'm asking you. I'm talking, what do people get when they get you? When they see you in the mall? When they see you coming down the aisle in the grocery store? Are they one of those that do this right here? When your car pulls up in the parking lot on your job, what does everybody start thinking? Well, we don't know what he's going to be like today. We don't know what's, or do they know what you're going to be like? Do, Do they get the same thing they get everywhere else they go? Do they get negativity, politics, religion? Do they get all the complaints, all the whining and the crying and the griping and the fussing and the smell of smoke all over you because you've been burnt by everybody in your life? Or are you exuding life in the midst of where they are? Because God wants you to bring life. This life that you're breathing in this place. You're you're, you're just an oxygen tank. We fill you up here, but you're supposed to let it out everywhere you go. Life, life, life. Everybody say life. Life. Now, I told you this is not going to be what you expected. I'm fixing to give you three ways that you can let life out when you get out of here. Now, it can start here. All three of these can start here, but it can't stay here. I want to give you some practical ways to start a revolution where this revival brings transformation, not just on the inside of this house, but on the outside of this house. So what do people get when they get you? Come on, look at somebody. Now, you got to smile. you got to smile. Now, if you cooperate with me, I will preach fast. If you don't cooperate with me, I'll slow way down. Come on, smile and look at them and say, what do they get when they get you? What do they get? What do they get? What do they get? Matthew 6, 31, I love this out of the message. This is the words of Jesus again. He says, here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Here's a simple, it's not, listen, it's not complicated what I'm preaching about this morning. It's a simple, simple principle. Here's what he said. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Just stop. You can take the rest of it down. That's all I need right there. Now, now I have several spiritual sons, but I only have one natural son, my firstborn son, my pride and my joy. He's a great man of God, a great pastor and preacher of the gospel. And when, when he was growing up, he'll get me for telling this, but when he was growing up, uh, this verse he struggled with. He struggled with this one verse when he was pre-teens because he'd get in trouble at school, he'd get in a fight or something, and we'd say, well, son, why did you do that? And he'd say, well, the Bible says do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So they did it to me. I figured they wanted me to do it to them. That's not what Jesus meant. He meant whatever you want them to do to you. I want you to go first. I want you to go first. I want you. You're a carrier of the presence of God. Are you going to let culture shape you and pressure you? Or are you going to be a carrier of the presence of God? Pressured by culture or a carrier of the presence? You go first. You don't wait on them to do it. You go first. Come on, shout, go first. So here it is. First, three three ways you can bring life into any situation. And the first one is in the generosity that you give. The generosity that you give. The generosity that you give. Everybody shout generosity. I'm not just talking about money. Money's a part of generosity. But I'm talking about a smile. You need to be generous with your smile. Do you know, do you know that literally they tell us that it takes more muscles in your face to frown than it does to smile? Some of your muscles are about wore out. Smile at me. Smiles are contagious. Frowns are repulsive. When I see somebody frowning, I want to go in the opposite direction. 
But smiles are contagious. People need a smile in a world that's frowning on them. And God said, I want you to be a carrier of my presence. Bring a smile. Bring a word of encouragement. Shake a hand. Hug a neck. Come on, somebody. We, we went through an age in the church in the, in the, in the early 2000 to 2010. We went through this, this shift in the church where give everybody their personal space and, and we didn't shake hands. We stopped fellowship time in the church. But let me tell you something. It did not work because we were created. We need a hug. We need a handshake. We need to be Jesus with skin on. We need to touch people and let them feel not the lust of men but the love of God I love hugging people that aren't believers and, and, and I mean I just go up and hug them and they're like next time next time I'm with them they just come on up and hug me back be generous be generous be generous I said be generous Everywhere you go. Now listen, listen, listen. I need to say this. I thank God for all your service in this church on Sundays. And all the people that are in the nurseries and working with the children. And at the sound and media and the worship team. And all the people at the tables and the doors and the security that's keeping us safe. And the ushers and the greeters and the prayer team. I appreciate all of that. I applaud. Come on, let's applaud all the people serving in the church today. But the problem is we do it in here and then we stop it until next Sunday. And listen, I'm all for serve days. Thank God. Thank God for serve days. I tell you, we're making a difference in our world. People are seeing the church invade the world with the love and the kindness of God. But let me tell you something. It needs to go beyond serve day and it needs to go beyond Sunday. It needs to be when you're not on a stage and you're not in the spotlight and nobody's going to reward you and nobody's going to clap their hands and nobody's going to take an Instagram picture of you doing it. You still need to be the feet and the hands of Jesus. Jesus serving people wherever you go. I started, uh, I started walking in January. I started walking. And, uh, and, and then it got to where I'd uh, jog a little bit, about a tenth of a mile, and then walk five tenths of a mile, and then jog a tenth of a mile. And I called that running, but it really jogging. And, and, and then... February and then March, I got this idea from seeing, looking back at some pictures of my four-year-old grandson running a, a, a 5K, and I thought, if my grandson can do that, I can do it. And so I found out in a hurry I couldn't do it that day. <laughs> so it's it's taken me a while. It's taken me a while. And and so I, I've mapped out a, a course, and I, I got a course mapped out, and I got to where I would... Uh, drive to a certain place and I'd run to a little city park it was about a mile and two tenths and and it had a track you could run five times around it and that'd be a mile and then I could run back so it'd be three miles and and, and four tenths of a mile and and so I, I kind of you know I didn't start running it I started walking it and jogging it and then little by little I built myself but but what happens is I have a morning routine so every morning I get up around 4 or 4.30, most time around 4, I, and I read my Bible and I pray and I spend time with God. And about 6 o'clock I go running. Well, I, when, I, when I'm reading my Bible, I drink two cups of coffee. And there's something I've learned about running. Running jogs everything. And if it's in you, it wants to come out. And... And so, by the time I'd get to this little city park, I'd need to go to the restroom. In, in, in Indonesia, uh, they, they don't understand restroom or bathroom. You just have to say toilet. And that's where I felt at home, just saying toilet. And so, I would jog up. And I had it all worked out. So, I would jog up. The first day, I jogged up to this city park public restroom. And when I opened the door, I was horrified. It was the filthiest thing. I, I mean, I didn't even want to touch anything. I mean, I, I, I just wanted to stand back and hope it reached it. Come on, everybody. I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm, I'm just being, I know this is on live stream, too. I'm just being real. I, 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 I wanted a body suit, what I wanted. 
And I'm just fussing and fussing, and, and so I go on about my, and so every morning, every morning, I, I done got my routine now. Every morning, I would just fuss and gripe. This is the filthiest thing. This is the, And it's, it's right on the back of a police station. It's literally on the black, back of the police station. And, and, I, and, and I just, I, don't, don't they pay somebody? Where's the rock and wreck, park and wreck board? I mean, don't they pay somebody to the filthy thing? And, I, you know, then I'd go back out and praise God. And one morning I am just fussing and grabbing. I'm just saying, why don't they pay somebody to fix this and uh, to clean this filthy bathroom? And I just heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, well, why don't you clean it? Out, out, out loud, out loud, I am promise you, out loud. I said, because they don't pay me to clean it. Well, see, he'd been, he'd been dealing with me out of this Luke chapter 6 here. He said, oh, really? Is that the only reason you do it? Because they will pay you? And I started laughing. I said, God, you do not want me to clean this filthy bathroom. He said, yes, I do. He said, in fact, I want you to take your money. I want you to go to Dollar General. I want you to buy a broom, a mop, a mop bucket. I want you to buy some some floor cleaner. I want you to buy some sink cleaner, mirror cleaner. I want you to buy some toilet cleaner. I want you to get a toilet brush. And And he didn't tell me this, but I added some long rubber gloves. And I went back, and I'm going to just be honest with you. I wish I could tell you I was, oh, glory to God. I was, <laughs> nobody else has. God, you don't make, who else have you ever asked? Have you ever asked Bishop Ragland to clean a stupid bathroom before? And they had a sink with a cabinet in it. So I stuck everything in the cabinet. I went on about my business. I was feeling good about now, you know. I thought, boy, oh, I'm glad you asked me to do that now, Lord, you know. The next morning, I jogged back, and I opened that door, and it's filthy. So I got everything back out of the thing, and I cleaned it all again. And over the next few weeks, I noticed, though, it was staying clean longer. And 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 and, 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 and nobody's taking. Yeah, I, I'm telling it now. But there was nobody there Instagramming me. There wasn't nobody paying me. This was for his eyes only. And I got to noticing. Then I got to noticing. Like one day it would it would be clean enough, and I wouldn't need to clean it. I'd come back the next morning. I noticed it was cleaner. So I started checking, and somebody else was using all of my cleaning supplies. So in July, I left and went to Indonesia for 30 days. And while I'm in Indonesia, I tell this story for the first time. And so I fly back home on a Wednesday, and the next morning, I got up to run. And I thought about it as I'm running toward that park. I thought, I get my phone out. I, I, I turn the video on. I run up to the door, and I open the door. 30 days I've been gone, and that bathroom was spotless clean. Come on, son. We change the culture through the generosity we give. One morning I'm jogging around that track and I'm chewing gum. And I'm chewing gum. And that, because I was jogging and chewing, that was stupid in the first place. I bit my lip. Have you ever bit your lip? So I, I, mean, I was like, and I was fishing to throw it out on me. Now listen, I've done it a thousand times, so have you. All of a sudden, all of a sudden this thought comes to me. I mean, literally, you hate when you step in people's chewing gum. I said, I sure do. He said, then why would you spit it out for somebody else to step in? I told you this wasn't going to be the message you thought it was going to be. Yes, generosity starts here, but it doesn't need to stay here. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26 or 32, Isaiah 32. But generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. Look at somebody and say, you need a plan. Come on, look at somebody and say, you need a plan. 
Listen, listen, listen. You, you got technology today. You got tech. You can just tell Siri, put it on my calendar. You don't need to wait for a move of the Spirit of God. You're a carrier of the presence of God. Just say on Monday, I'm going to stop by Daylight Donuts, and I'm going to buy a $6 box of donuts. I'm going to take them into my office. The first thing that's going to happen is everybody in your office is going to fall out. Walk over to somebody in your office and say, before I get started, is there something I can help you do? You say, well, I don't know. We can't, nobody in my office. You go first. Here's a simple rule of thumb for you to live by. You go first. You take the initiative. What would you want somebody to do for you? You take the initiative and you go first. Every one of you knows somebody. You know somebody who's going some of the darkest, deepest seasons of their life. You know somebody right now. And it's been going so long that you've gotten busy with your life because you've got problems too. And everything's breaking loose in your life. And you, people just don't know what you're going through. And, and, and what has happened is you've got so focused on you, you forgot about them. We do that in the body of Christ. We show up at the funeral for the death of a loved one, and a week later we had never called them again. Come on. We say, I get busy. Just tell Siri. Say, on Wednesday, remind me to call Ruth Ann. It's that easy. You won't even need the Spirit of God. Wednesday morning, Siri will tell you it's time to call Ruth Ann. To whom much is given, much is required. We live in the greatest day to be the hands and the feet of Jesus that we've ever seen. God's working right now. Your brain is thinking. Who can you just call? Who can you just text? Somebody that's going through a divorce. Let me tell you something. Divorce is, is, is worse than death. Now, now listen to me. I know some of you have lost people. I have too. And I know you're thinking, no, 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 no way. Yeah, yeah, let me, let me just tell you something. Death is that person dead. They dead. There's nothing they can do about it. But divorce is that person's alive over there going on with their life. They just didn't want you. When was the last time you called someone and just said, listen, I'm praying for you. I can't imagine. Would you like to go get a Coke? See, their world has been turned upside down. They don't have anybody to eat dinner with anymore. They don't have anybody to watch TV with anymore. They don't have anybody to ride down the road and talk to anymore. They are alone. You say, I know it. That's exactly why I wish somebody would do that for me. What Jesus said. If that's what you wish somebody to do for you, you go first. Then there's another principle that says you will reap. Everybody say the generosity I give. I, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Here's the second thing you can do. You can bring life wherever you go. Your family, your job, your community, your neighbors. In the honor you bring. In the honor you bring. The word honor just means to value. Everybody just say value. Just value. Just, just value people. Just honor people. You say, well, well, you don't know my family. They don't deserve to, they don't deserve my honor. You, you got to earn my honor. No, 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 no. You don't understand honor. God commands us to honor one another. His command on us is not dependent on the actions of others. In, in fact, in fact, in fact, the more dishonorable they are, the more we are expected to honor them because honoring them is not a test of their character. It's a test of our character, whether we're going to have integrity and obey the word of God. Here's what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Everybody say those four words out loud with me. Value others above yourself. Say it again. Value now, and now, where it says value, and they are interchangeable, I want you to say honor. Honor others. Come on, say it again. Here's why you honor others. You don't honor others based on their character. You honor others based on their creator. They are created in the image of God. And because they're created in the image of God, they deserve my respect, my honor, and my value. 
Listen, listen. If you'd quit devaluing, dehonoring, and disrespecting people, if you would start valuing them, I've learned this. People will rise to the level of value that you place on them. That's what happened years ago when you said, I see greatness in you. He's risen to the level of value that you put on him. You don't wait on others to value you. He said you value others above yourselves. And then he don't stop there. He says, not looking to your own interest. Not looking to, listen, this is what God is saying. Now I'm just going to tell you, he is trying to kill us. That's what Paul was saying. Death needs to work in us. There's too much of us and not enough of him. There's too much of self. There's too much of humanity. There's too much of carnality. And we're always thinking about me, my, I, what I'm going through. And what I've been through and what everybody's done to me instead of realizing you're a carrier of the presence of God you're more than a conqueror you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and God has called you to bring life into the dead places of our world life when people get around you my dad my dad gave me the greatest piece of advice that he that I had ever received in my life He's been dead 22 years, but, but, but I still live by this. Your pastor will tell you, anybody that knows me will tell you this about my life. It has shaped my entire life and ministry. And here's what my dad told me. Greatest piece of advice I ever, ever had was given to me. He said, son, even a dog likes to be patted on the head. You say, well, what is that? And then he said this. He said, and son... You pat that dog on the head, he'll come back every day for another pat. Now, he wasn't calling people dogs. You know what he said? He said, if you value people, everybody wants to be valued. And if you value them, they'll keep coming back because they are valued in your presence. What do people get when they get you? When they walk away from you, do they feel devalued or do they feel valued? Every one of us know what it's like to feel valued. You get around someone who adds value to you. And, and, and I mean, it's, it's like they build you up. It's like sucking in oxygen. I mean, I mean, you can be discouraged, depressed. You can have just fallen on your face. You get around somebody that believes in you, somebody that values you, and, and you, you leave there, you chase hell with a water gun because you know Somebody believes in you. Somebody values you. Most people have nobody who believes in them and values them. Everybody puts them down. They need somebody to lift them up. That's why you are born again. That's why you're a care of the presence of God. Not just to come to Solid Rock Church and herk and jerk, but it's to walk out of here and breathe life into people. Starts here, but it shouldn't stay here. This is a good place for you to learn how to not put yourself first. All of you that are in the same seat you sit in every Sunday and get aggravated if somebody else gets in. We know where to look for you. We know if you're here or not by just looking for your seat because you got your seat. If you're not serving in this house, you're not going to serve outside. If you, don't, if you don't open the door, give your parking place away. If you, don't, if you don't do something for somebody else on Sunday in this environment, you're sure not going to do it when you walk out of here. See, pe pe people wear these. You, you don't know it, but they, they, they have had the life sucked out of them so much they've learned to just live with them on. Here's what God wants. Instead of people putting them on when we walk in the room, here's what Jesus is saying. When people, when you walk in the room, people ought to be able to take it off. <sighs> Let me tell you, that sign out there is beautiful. Someone's already seen my face on it. Come on, they already told me about it last night in the restaurant. I said, yep, that's me. The only reason they bought that sign was because they knew I was coming. Everybody else gets to get their picture on there, but it was bought to put mine on there. 
I feel that way. You know why? Because he values me. I love to come around where I'm valued. I need to sit here a minute. Can I sit here a minute? Just honor. How would it change your relationships in your home if you started valuing the people that live with you? If you just honored them. On your job, if you just honored them. If you just said, man, that was a great. It's good to see you this morning. Thanks for smiling. What, what if you just told your boss, thank, you know, I'm, I'm glad I have a job. I passed people this morning, had signs in their hands that are homeless. And I just thought, I, need, I hadn't told my boss in a long time, I appreciate I got a job. I'm going to get a paycheck this week. Yeah, yeah. Well, they owe that to me. No, they don't owe you anything. Right. We've become like the world. Let me, let me, I, I just need to, I need to give you four or five things. You ought to be writing right now. If you're not writing, that means you, you're not going to do it. Go in a restaurant. And, and, and let me tell you something. I, I've told this, but I need to tell it. I need to get real. Because in a few minutes, in a few minutes, all of y'all are going to go somewhere and eat lunch today. And let me just tell you about when you get there. The, the waiters and the waitresses that work today hate working today. And they will tell you they hate working today because of you, because of church people. They gripe the most, tip the least. I, I need to tell some of you, I, I'm just, don't get mad at them. I need to tell some of you that's 50 and older, two quarters is not a tip anymore. And do not leave. Do not leave your track on my table as your tip. Because you make me resent you instead of want you. Listen to me. We ought to be ashamed. We've caused so much offense that they don't even want to work on Sunday. The first time they walk to your table... Ask them their name. And every time they walk up to pour water, to take your, say, well, Sarah, thank you, Sarah. That's good, Sarah. I appreciate that, Sarah. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, when they put your food down, say, hey, Sarah. Say, listen, I know you're busy and you got to go on about your business, but we're going to bless our food. When we do, is there something you'd like for us to pray about, Sarah? You don't have to stay here. We don't want to embarrass you. We ain't going to make a spectacle. out. We're not looking for a spotlight or an Instagram moment. And let me tell you what to do. I, I'm doing this. I'm doing this, and I'm having, a, I'm having a blast doing it. I tell you, if you want to make everybody freak out and go friendly. And listen, listen. I, don't expect perfection out of somebody because you're not perfect. They, they won't get it on the time you want. And they may spill your tea. Or they may bring you unsweet when you ordered sweet. Don't, don't lose your salvation over it. You're, you're not dying, I promise you. I've seen you. I'm just, I'm loving you this morning. I'm telling you, this is what revival, this will bring revival. Yeah. And then when they, when they bring it back and, and they lay your bill down there and you, and you take your credit card out or however you're going to pay your bill, say, say Sarah, say, uh, when you come back, uh, when you bring your bill back, can you bring your manager with you and just look down? She's going to freak out. And I'm going to tell you, the manager's coming with his braced, he's braced. They tell me this every time they tell me this. They'll walk up the table, and you can just sit on the and I just say, hey, sir, I know you're busy, and the day's a big day. I just wanted to tell you, Sarah is an excellent waitress, and she represents this establishment. You, you ought to really be glad that Sarah is here. You'll just see it. And every one of them will tell me the same thing. Well, I really appreciate that. Most of the times when we're called to the table, it's a gripe and a complaint. Well, glory to God. I want to be different. I'm a carrier of the presence of God. No, I didn't share the Romans road with them. No, I didn't lay hands on them. No, I didn't give an altar call. I just released the life and the love of Jesus see if I'll do that sooner or later they'll be asking me I won't have to tell them 
Look somebody in the eye. Come on, look somebody in the eye. Come on, look somebody in the eye. When you talk to people, look them in the eye. Do you know it's valuing? Do, do you know why you ought to call people by their name? Do you know that you, sir? Do you know that you, sir? Do you know you, ma'am? The greatest word that you love to hear. It's been proven. In your body, reactors go off in your brain and shoot excitement through your, through your emotions and down your spine when you hear your name. When you hear your name without a cuss word behind it. Charles. I got to hurry, but listen to me. I'm helping you this morning. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to be glorified. Here's why the here's what here's what here's what Jesus said. He said, "Let men see your good works." And then glorify your Father in heaven. You know what he's saying? When you do some of the things you, that I'm wanting you to do, people will say this has to be God. Because everybody else is different. When I was, I was in a denomination when I first started preaching, there was this guy had a big church. He's, you'd know the church. You'd know the preacher. So I'm not going to say his name. But he was big and, and, and he was tall. And every, time I'd, every time I knew he was going to be somewhere, I'd go up and I'd make my way up to him. Come up here, Bishop, just a minute. Come up here, hurry. You're about his height. And and uh because all I wanted was I was young, young preacher. And I, I just I wanted to be validated. And so I'd get wherever I could. And just and, and, and this is the way he'd do every time. And I knew what he was doing. He was looking for important people in the room. And and I'd wow. keep going back. Thank you. Give Bishop a hand. Will you do that? And every time I would leave feeling devalued. Several years ago, I got to preach, I got to speak, not preach, at the church where the prime minister of Cameroon attended. And, and uh, I got to sit on the platform. And so at the end of the service, they have five choirs. And at the end of the service, they, all five choirs sing a song together. All the pastors walk out seats 2,000 people they stand on the porch and everybody comes out and you shake everybody's hand well last year I was invited back to that church and they told me you're going to preach and I, I was just saying God I, 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 while I was studying at my office I said God what can I do to show these people I value them what can I do because God's been teaching me this how, how can I let them know that I'm not a big shot preacher from America and just because I'm white doesn't mean I'm any more godly than they are yeah. I said how can I I let them know I honor them in that and I just had this thought about what I just, I thought how I always felt when that guy wouldn't look me in the eye. And I just thought, God, I'm going to look every one of them in the eye. And, and, and they hold their babies. And I said, I'm even going to touch the jaw of their baby and move the little baby's head till the baby looks at me and I'm going to look in the baby's eye. Eight weeks later, I go, I preach that morning. It is packed to capacity. I preached my lungs out at the end of the service. I walk out on that porch, and I'm ready for that choir to end where they come walking out. And the first one walks out, and there was one thing I had forgotten. In the African culture, to show they do honor you, they don't look you in the eye. They bow. I said, God already knew this. So here's what I did. Some of them were shorter than me. 2,000 times my shirt tail was hanging out. I looked like I'd been on a 5K. I, I need to end this, but I, I want to talk about it. I got to, I got to because I'm telling you, I've, I've prayed, and I've never, I've never said publicly what I'm fixing to say. I've said it in small groups of pastors, but I'm going to say it in this pulpit today. 
I believe that the Bible teaches life begins at conception. I believe border, abortion is the murder of an unborn child. Not a fetus, not a blob. And I love that the church will take a stand on that. But to me, it is the hypocrisy of the church's stand on abortion. And here's why. If a mother aborts her baby, we'll call her a murderer. That's a child. But you let a woman miscarry. And we treat it like it was nothing. If you believe that child is a child, then that person didn't have a miscarriage. That person just lost their child. Their counter in their kitchen ought to be filled with casseroles from people in the church. There ought to be people over there praying with them and crying. But we just look, oh, oh, and we say something stupid like this. And if someone's ever said this to you, I stand proxy today and say, please forgive us. Well, God just needed another rose in his garden. It's tragic. I'm so sorry. For every woman in this room that's ever lost a child before birth, I want to say to you, I'm so sorry for the death of your child. That baby is in heaven. You need to name that baby. You need to tell your children and your grandchildren about that baby because one day they're going to meet them in heaven. I want to be a person of honor. I want to be a person of value. So when someone walks in a room, don't just stay at the table. It feels awkward. They feel out of place. Stand up and walk over to them and greet them and let them know they're not out of place. Call them by name. Look them in the eye. Hug a neck. Shake a hand. Give a high five and tell people you matter. Here's the last one. And I'm quitting, I promise. And I still hadn't been going 40 minutes yet, so I'm okay. You preach longer than that. In the generosity I give, in the honor I bring, and in the love I show. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a quiver in your liver. That's lust. That's excitement. God commands us to love. In fact, in the New Testament, there's 59 verses that says one another. 19 of them say love one another. God cannot command you to do something if it, if it means you have to have an emotion to do it. It's a command. Love is a, a rational decision, a willing commitment. Love is an action. Love is not love until you experience. It. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He acted on it. We would never know. The Bible says four different times Jesus was the expression of God's love. Love in love until you've expressed it. Let me give you a verse of scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, and this is what it says. I've cut it down. It just says love is. Go to the next verse. Keeps no record of being wronged. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Say it out loud with me. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Just act of love is forgiveness. The greatest act of love is forgiveness. The most cherished word in the English language is forgiveness. Deep down in the heart of every human being in this room and in our world is a desire to be forgiven. If you have ever experienced forgiveness in your life, it should be at the forefront of your thinking every time you are in a position to forgive someone. Now listen to me. 
every time I had ever preached on forgiveness in my life until two years ago, every time, always preached you need to forgive because it will hinder your relationship with God. You need to forgive or you'll become bitter. You need to forgive because of all the reasons you set yourself free when you forgive. Really, every reason I ever said to forgive was a selfish reason. Jesus didn't need to forgive us. He had done no wrong. He didn't need to set himself free. Jesus didn't have to forgive us to, to keep from blocking his relationship with God. There was no benefit to God to forgive us except to have relationship with us. Everybody listen to me. I told this story here three years ago. I want to tell it to you again. When I was 17 years old, 17 years old. Anybody here 17? Anybody? You're 17. When I was your age, I, I had a, an affection for this girl, and I wanted her to like me back, so I told her I was adopted. <laughs> Absolutely. It was a lie. It was an absolute lie. It was the stupidest thing. I don't know why I did it. Look, look at me. I don't know why I did it. I don't. It's stupid. I have a wonderful loving family. In fact, in fact, my mother stood against people who wanted to abort me to have me. I mean, I had a great, she's still alive, 90 years old. And I didn't tell her any different. And a few weeks later at the church, my family attended. My dad pastored. I saw this girl talking to my mother. And when I did, listen, true story. When I did, shame, humiliation, guilt, embarrassment. Oh, I cannot tell you. Well, some of you know how I feel. It was so overwhelming. Listen to me. I went and got in my little Vega. That, that's a Chevrolet car from the 70s. Hatchback. I drove to my house, sir, before my parents got home, packed up my clothes, left my home, went to a roach-infested trailer park, rented an old broken-down roach. I'm talking about when you'd open the drawer in the kitchen, hundreds of roaches. were. It took me a month to get all them roaches out of that house. Moved in it. This was 1977. I was working third shift at a cotton mill, and every time, my parents didn't know what had happened. They, they found out where I was living. They'd come by, and I wouldn't go to the door. I would not answer any attempt of my, I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I didn't want to face them. And that decision led me into some other bad decisions. Almost died in a house fire one night. Fell asleep on drugs, smoking a cigarette in that trailer. One night I went into work. My brother Dan that has attended here and worked here, he was in the parking lot and he said, meet me in the morning at McDonald's for breakfast. When you get off of work, I got off of work at 8. I said, okay, I'll see you then. And McDonald's in 1977 is exactly like McDonald's today in the morning. It's packed full. And so I park and I walk in and I'm looking around for my brother. I'm 59, it's been, it's been 42 years, and there's my father. Tears are rolling down his face. He's got a big old smile on his cheeks. He walks right up to me, grabs me right in McDonald's, kissed me right in the lips. He said, son, your mother and I love you. We forgive you. It's time to come home. Right there, I just fell into the arms of my father. I didn't move home that day because I had a lease, but I went straight home, made it right with my mother. I still feel it 42 years later. I can't tell you the weight, the burden, the guilt, the shame that was gone. The amazing thing is my dad lived 20 more years and worked with me at, at the church in Aniana. And from the day he hugged me in McDonald's to the day he died, he never mentioned it. Ever. And that's 
he died 22 years ago. 42 years. That one act of love in my life changed. It is who I am today, isn't it, son? Who desperately needs you? <laughs> if it's no benefit to you whatsoever, who just needs you to let them off the hook? I know they did it. I know it was stupid. I know they can't explain it. I know they don't deserve it. But you didn't deserve the love of God. You didn't deserve the forgiveness of God. And then let me help you, let me help you. You're still wanting them to pay for it. Let me tell you something. The day Jesus paid for your sins, every one of them that you hadn't even done yet, he died for your sins. He also paid for what they did to you. So it's already been paid. You can let them off the hook. Do you know what you could do for somebody today if you own your way home, if you would just stop by, surprise them, and just walk up, no excuses, and just say, I love you, I forgive you. It's time to come home. It's time to reconcile. Connection is, is more important than correction. I said connection is more important than correction. You, you, you may never get it back. They may never be able to restore. Don't make them pay it. Just let them go free. You will change their life forever. Why? Because you are a carrier of the presence of God. Everybody stand to your feet all over this room. You may have never experienced that kind of love today. You can. I'm telling you, this may seem so practical. But I'm telling you, it changed his life. What I'm preaching changed his life. You're here today because of what I'm preaching today. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God wants to fill every one of us. This church is in revival. I believe, I believe that I'm here not by accident. In the middle of this move of God. To give purpose to it. To give permanence to it. To give direction to it. It's to start here. But it's not to stay here. Somebody's waiting on your phone call. Somebody needs to get a text from you. Saying you're free. You're pardoned. You don't owe a thing. Jesus paid it all. I love you. I love you more than I want to be right. I love you more than I want to be right. I forgive you. Let's practice it one time. Everybody just say it one time. Say, I forgive you. Well, why, don't, why don't you? I know it's not the person beside you, but why, we're practicing. We're practicing. Come on, we're practicing. So just start with the person beside you. Look him in the eye and say, I forgive you. I love you. It's time for, for you to come home. Why, why don't you just, I don't know why I just feel that. Why don't you just look at them? Don't do it. Don't do it in a funny way. Listen, don't do it religious, but listen, I, I mean this. I, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm live streaming. You can turn that off now. Every moment of this message was planned. Now listen, I want you to look at somebody. Hold her hands. I need you to demonstrate. Hold both hands. Look her in the eye. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at somebody. And I want you to say to them those three phrases. Sandy, I love you. I forgive you. It's time.